We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Kids, at this time, you're dismissed. Ages seven and on down can head to the fellowship hall. And if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of God's word. Please open up your Bibles to Romans 12, and we are going to read verses 9 through 13. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be available to you on the screen, but I would encourage you to bring your Bibles each Sunday. This is the word of the Lord, Romans Chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. You may have a seat. Let's pray together. And so Lord, uh, we are just asking now that you would use this text in great ways to uh, build up the body of Christ, your people. Uh, Would you convict where you need to convict and comfort where you need to comfort and uh, guide where you need to guide. And I pray that you would use this text mightily uh, this morning in your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. So we are back in Romans again. And uh, we as a church uh, have covered chapters 1 to 11, if we wanted to summarize it like this, we could say chapters 1 to 11, this is what God has done. Um, Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we could say, therefore, so dedicate your lives to God. Okay, what God has done, and then the, the response would be, of course, give everything you have to him. Last week, we looked at the gifts of the Spirit, which could be summarized, hey, after dedicating your life to the Lord, hey, here are some gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you that you may act and function and operate within within the church and to reach people for Christ. And now we are in verse 9. And uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is like practical application or practical response to what the Christian life looks like, how it should be lived. So there's a pastor by the name of William Arnonat, and it was said about him, ready? His preaching was good, 
His writing is better. His living is best of all. And really, that's, that's the whole point of the Christian life, that we will put our faith into action, isn't it? Like Christianity is not just some sort of set of beliefs that you ascribe to, you check the box, but you believe and belief informs behavior. You're changed from within, and we see it lived out in this world. So Christianity is a way of life. It's a pattern of living, a unique way of living, a very narrow path to follow Jesus. And so Paul gives us this great list in order to help us understand what does it look like to live the Christian life. Um, in my home, um, uh, when, when Hannah and I were raising I'm going to sound old when I say this, but when we were raising young children, I know we still have young children, but like when they were all like really little and we were still helping them like brush their teeth and uh, do things like that, we just noticed that, um, uh, that there, there began to be like this pattern of when we would wake them up in the morning, right? Like they would, they would come down the stairs, they'd sit on our laps and they would go like this. They'd go, oh, good morning, dad. All right. And I'd be like, oh my word, we need to teach them that before they come down the stairs, they got to brush those teeth, right? Like there's some like basics in living. And so like, oh, so it is so good to see you this morning. All right, let's go back upstairs. And oh my goodness, like let's, let's use the restroom before we start things. Let's brush our teeth, right? Um, hey, before we, we start living today, let's get dressed. Because we don't go to the grocery store with our pajamas on. That's like a parenthesis slight admonition uh, uh, to uh, y'all out there. You know, no wearing slippers at the grocery store anymore, okay? You know, uh-huh. some of you are like, oh, he knows. <laughs> uh, you know, like there's, there's some basics that you need to do before, before you come downstairs. And so like um, we, we were noticing those things as, as parents of like really young children. And so we would like, wake them up, and we would always be reminding them, like, hey, don't forget to brush your teeth. Hey, don't forget to make your bed. Hey, you're a girl. You got to brush your hair. Like, guys, I, I don't even own a brush. I just kind of, like, do this, you know, just get out of the shower. Like, hey, um, when you wake up, um, this, like, these are the things that, that humans do. And so we came up with this thing. Rather than, like, reminding each one of them, we just, like, hey, you know what, like, there's really five things that we want you to do before you come downstairs every morning. So we called them the high fives. Um, they are, you got to brush your teeth, brush your hair, use the restroom, get dressed, make your bed, right? So rather than like, did you make your bed? Did you make it? Did you, it's like, hey, did you do your high fives this morning? Nope. Why don't you go back and then you can come on down, right? Paul kind of does the same thing with us this morning, right? He has like all these, all these things that describe what it means to live the Christian life, like really practical stuff, rubber meets the road kind of stuff. And, and he's going to say, hey, these are the, the main things. If you want to follow Jesus, I'm just going to bullet point them out to you. And instead of like, five things, he kind of gives us 
four large chunks. And instead of, instead of giving you, the, the text actually has 13 um, uh, imperatives or commands. Uh, instead of you, giving you 13 commands, which we don't have that many fingers, um, I've grouped them together for us in four areas, okay? Um, and just so you get a, kind of a little picture of where we're going, um, today is going to be like a 10,000-foot flyover. We're going to gain a great understanding of these four main areas of how to live the Christian life. And tomorrow morning, um, the elders are going to meet. We're going to hear from your from you, and we're going to see what the Lord does through this word and by his spirit, and we're going to pick one of them to preach on next week, um, one of them that surfaces to the top that we feel like our body needs, like, ah, oh. so what, what, what really lands well with our church this morning? Next Sunday, we're going to have like another training time where we focus on one of them and really dive deep. Okay, so that's where we're headed. So if you're like, oh, I wish we would have spent more time on application this Sunday on this one, like how to be patient in affliction or how to show hospitality or how to whatever, you're going to really get it next Sunday. But here's the four large areas that, um, that uh, Paul is going to encourage us in. So the first one is love, verses 9 and 10. Uh, the second one is to serve, verse 11. The next one is to persevere in verse 12. And then he's going to tell us to care in verse 13. Those are good summary words. To love, serve, persevere, and care. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Serve with Love. And let's get right after it with point number one, to love. Let me read just the first few words of verse 9. And then we'll start reading and explaining what the Bible, what God has for us this morning, okay? Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. So um, as we start reading this, don't get the idea that all of a sudden Paul comes up with this cool idea that the church should show love in the book of Romans. Like we have seen time and time again this theme of love being broken apart, being expounded, being explained to us. We saw in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. We learned uh, earlier in the book of Romans in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5, that, that God's love has been poured out upon us. Um, in chapter 8, we learned that God's love refuses to let us go remember that that great passage of scripture verses 35 and 39 that he has us he holds us fast that he'll never let us go and so therefore he calls the church to show love in a genuine way let's just get technical so hang with me for a second okay the word genuine uh, this word in the greek is anupakritas so the word, um, this word was used uh, in Greek theater uh, back in the day. And they would, um, what, what they would do is they would take a mask, um, full mask, not like a medical mask, okay? And they would, they would put it over a face, and it literally means to talk from under. 
And the mask would show the emotion of the actor, but the actor would speak from, from under the mask. This is the word um, in, in Greek where we get the word hypocrite. Anapokritas. Do you hear it? Hypocrite. And so basically Paul is saying to n- not show love in a, in, a, in, a, in a manner of hypocrisy or without hypocrisy, but to be like unmasked, to be undisguised, or to be sincere in your love. Just so you catch this image, um, this is what Paul is not saying. Um, He's not saying, hey church, like don't hide your emotions, but always be authentic. And share with everyone what you're always feeling. Don't be masked, but like be, be, a, be a real person. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is that if you could peel back the layers of everyone's heart, and if you could look at what we are, we would want to see love at the core of it how you treat others, how you view God, what your whole life is marked by. Uh, just within our, our, our church, we can say, hey, you can look uh, or overlook a lot if someone has a genuine, sincere, without hypocritical nature love. Right? Even... Even hopefully you've seen that from me and your church leaders, right? We're certainly not gifted at everything. The men that we appoint as elders and deacons, we want them to love the church, right? They won't be perfect. But man, you can overlook a lot if they are sincerely in love with God's people. Just love them. That's what we're looking for. The worst thing that you can do as a Christian is fake it, (laughs) is pretend, is to be masked and to speak out from under, which would kind of look like this. Hey, Lord bless you. You know, how you doing? I can't stand that guy, right? Oh my word, get me away from that person. That's how you genuinely feel. Now, just to pastor you for a sec, that is how we feel oftentimes, isn't it? <laughs> but when we love genuinely, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, would you help me love people like you love? Would you help me be genuine? And so I'm honest with you first and say, I can't stand that guy sometimes. But you sent your son for him. You love him. Would you help me with a genuine heart? Would you help me love this person like you love them? Finish this with me. And they will know we are Christians by our... That's right. The world is sick of Christians faking it. They're sick of it. Once we get this, our evangelism will be like wildfire. But if we don't get this, The world doesn't want what we have. Love is said to be the greatest virtue. Obviously, God is love. 
some of these words. You can just even, even in your mind and in your heart, 1 Corinthians 13 comes up. And, uh, the fruits of the Spirit come up. Paul in other passages says that uh, there's faith, there's hope, and then there's what? And then there's love. And he says the greatest of these is love. Why? Why love? Well, because faith will end one day. We, faith is, is like putting your faith or assurance or trust in something that you don't see. When you die, you're going to see Jesus and you won't need faith anymore and that will be beautiful. You'll see him with your own two glorified eyes. Hope is something that is like for something that is to come that, that isn't here yet. That's why it's a mark of a believer right now in this life to hope in the Lord's return. But that too will end. We won't have to hope anymore. But one day when we're before Jesus, face to face, for eternity, it's called the eternal state, we will continuously have the feelings, affections, the state of love. We'll experience love forever. And that's why it's the greatest. And that's why we're called to love in a genuine manner. I would say, just to share a, a negative biblical example, the clearest example of a hypocritical love would be Judas. Where he, in a pretense of love, kissed our Savior and betrayed him. So, friends, just to like run to application... Um, if you want to serve the Lord, this whole like section in Romans, chapters 12 through 16, if you want to dedicate your life to Him and use your gifts and to see Him working in and through you, then you have got to let Him deal with your heart in the area of love first. To love the Lord and to love others in a genuine manner. You can say, Lord bless you. But just don't fake it. We need to love genuinely. Amen? So let's, uh, let's gain a further understanding of love um, by what Paul gives us next, how he, how he describes it. The next portion of this, of verse 9 says, to abhor what is evil. That's a strong word, isn't it? To abhor something. We don't use that a lot. Isn't that strange, though, that, that right after Paul tells us to love genuinely, he tells us to hate something, like to abhor evil. These are not two separate ideas. So love, this is how we like gain a little bit more understanding of love. Love is not just some sentimental thing, red roses and Hallmark like cards and movies. Loving someone involves hating evil. So for example, a mother, we would say, loves her child with an unconditional love in a very genuine manner, right? Let's say uh, your little toddler is sitting down um, on the ground and uh, because toddlers like pick up things and shove them in their mouth, right moms, right? Um, let's say your toddler picks up a scorpion, okay? And you are just standing right by there and you love your kid. And you go like this. Well, he'll learn. I love him. 
I mean, it's poisonous. It's really going to hurt, but no. Like, a mother hates scorpions. And a mother would go to that child and rip the scorpion out of the hand of that toddler before like that stingy thing in the back comes and gets the kid right in the tongue, right? The kid doesn't know any better. Like, love hates the scorpion. Now, being a preacher dude, if I give an illustration like that, who's going to disagree with me? Ain't nobody going to disagree with me about a little mama and a sweet little baby and a scorpion, okay? Let me just turn it on its side, though, okay? What about when one of our family members in the church is about to eat or drink spiritual poison? They're deeply in sin. And they're going to die if they eat, drink, if they're involved in that, spiritually, physically, whatever, what should the church's response be? Typically, the response is this. Well, I don't want to judge. You see that? And all of a sudden, the virtue of judging becomes a lot higher than genuinely loving and abhorring evil. Do you see how the church functions now? If you are to love someone genuinely and to abhor evil, friends, let's move towards each other in love, in gentleness, in kindness, with, with a quick manner, so that we're not eating poison. We're not we're not digesting scorpions. Let's look at the next thing that Paul writes. It says to hold fast to what is good. The word hold fast, koloa. This is a word that describes a sticking or a bonding agent. It's like glue. So it's saying, hey, stay stuck to goodness. Okay, so let's, let's talk about uh, dads now. So we use moms a little bit. So dads, um, there are two things that, um, m- that um, make every dad a success. Uh, duct tape and uh, glue. What's it called? Permanent glue. Come on, come on. Not Gorilla Glue. Uh, super glue, that's what it is. Duct tape and super glue. Those two things every dad is equipped to do every good work, right? Um, so like in my home, super glue is my friend. I have four girls. We break a lot of like little tiny cute things, okay? And they come running to me and they say, can you fix it? And like, I'm like, yes, I can. I can fix anything. And then I pull out the super glue, okay? Here's, here's though my mentality, my attitude when I fix something. Recently, um, Ruthie like got this like a really cute like kind of Chinese plastic fancy fan um, made out of plastic. Uh, one of the deals, one of like the edges broke, um, and sh- like it was presented to me, and I'm like, I'll fix it. But here's my attitude. Ready? I am going to put super glue on this. I'm going to bind these two things together. But honestly. My attitude is, this is a temporary fix. This is going to appease for a time. 
but that fan will never be the same, okay? Do you hear my attitude of kind of a, a temporal, um, just kind of making it type thing? Do you, do you hear me? When it says to be stuck to goodness, to hold fast to, totally a different attitude than my attitude towards that plastic cute little fan. This is an attitude of being stuck or bound for life. It's not like, oh, we'll just, we'll just try this goodness for a little bit and we'll see how. This is a wholehearted, full commitment to a pattern of goodness. I want my whole life, my whole calendar, everything in my life to be, to, to be identified as good rather than evil or even like gray. I want goodness to be a part of my life. Do you see the difference in attitudes? So be stuck to or hold fast to good, church. Look at verse 10 with me. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is a family term, to, to be brotherly affectionate towards one another. Um, one of my favorite family quotes is, the family you think is normal is the family you don't know too well. Right? I know. That's my family. That's your family too, right? We, we are all, the new normal is no one's normal, right? Um, but we love each other. We're family. Quick story on my family, okay? I remember growing up and going to, um, to, going to my grandma and grandpa's house in Marquezan, Wisconsin. Population 19, right? Like little small town in Wisconsin. And um, there was a baseball field like a mile away. There was a Piggly Wiggly grocery store. There was my parents, uh, my grandparents' house, Okay. Uh, mom, uh, sorry, grandma was a teacher. She taught uh, economics in the high school. So she was really known for being like financially savvy in the community. My grandpa was a vet, which is why my dad took tetracycline when he got headaches, which is horse medicine, um, which is why he's a little weird, which is why I'm a little weird, okay? Um, but when he retired, he was a postman, which made him, which fit him totally with personality because he could say hi to everyone in the community every day, right? Um, which is why my dad's pretty social, which is why we like people too, okay? Um, grandma was not known for her cooking. She was, she was not known for that, okay? Can you just read between the lines, okay? So we would go there for like Thanksgiving or Christmas, and all of us would be like, Mom, please help us out. Like, can we just bring some frozen pizzas or like, can you keep some snacks in the car? Do we have to eat grandma's cooking, Okay. I remember this one Thanksgiving where we were all at this big table and there was something in the middle that was served on all of our plates. Like she kind of did it old school where she like dealt each plate, you know, around. It's like, thanks, Grandma. <laughs> Thank <you>. Right? <laughs> it was jello. And there was like things in the jello. And I was like, what's in that jello? Right? Usually, in, it was green jello. Usually, in that green jello, you put like, pears or like nice like fruit things in there so I, like I took a one small bite and I was like oh no something stuck in my teeth you shouldn't get things stuck in your teeth if you're eating jello can we all agree on that okay 
It was celery and carrot jello. I had celery in my teeth, okay? You guys are going to like invite us over, like, make sure you don't put celery in the jello. And I would thank you, right? Okay, so I take this bite. It's like stuck in my teeth. Grandma gets up to get more water and like hosty things, okay? And I pick up my plate and I dump it, dump the jello on my brother's plate, okay? Brother, next brother, next brother, next brother, next brother, mom, mom to dad. We hear the in the in the like the door from the the kitchen to the dining room and dad looks grandma's coming and he goes and sucks up all the jello at once right and that was like his act of service for the day he was a living sacrifice man it was unbelievable family right like no one likes carrot and celery jello but guess what we keep coming back to grandma's like, because we love family. And we, like, overlook that kind of jello. And, 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 and we say, you know what? We love grandma and we love grandpa. And that's, that's the kind of love that is to be shown and understood in the church with weaknesses, with strengths. We love each other because we're Christians. That's what we do. Because the Lord first loved us. Check out this next one. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. So we're still in this love category. We're grouping all these with love. We're seeing that one way to love people genuinely is to show honor to them. It produces this culture of respecting and honoring one another. Like in the Japanese tradition, they have this, this tradition of bowing to one another. And it, it's a way of to, to show honor to one another. And if, if someone bows to you, you bow back to them. And if you are caught last bowing, it's this statement of, I accept your bow, and I'm acknowledging that you are the lesser and I am the greater. And so what it does in conversations is that it keeps people bowing in Japan. They just keep bowing to one another so that they're not the last one. Because they don't want to say to one another, I'm, I'm the greater, you're the lesser. No, no, no. What it is, is no, no, you're the greater. You're the greater. I'm... And so they just bow. They just keep, just keep bowing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think we have a lot to learn from that. If you want a quick application to how to show honor to people, um, would be, hey, tonight, around the dinner table, Choose one person to honor with your words. To say, hey, we're going to take some time to honor Johnny tonight. Um, let's, say, let's go around and have everyone say one kind thing about him. And be specific with your honor. Just don't say, Johnny, thanks for being Johnny. You're really nice. But use an example. And with your words as a family, uh, honor one another. Can we do that? Number two, serve. Number two, serve. So we grouped some verses in love, and now God's going to tell us to serve. Uh, let me read all of verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You ever watch a sloth? You ever go to Cincinnati Zoo? Right? 
pretty slow. Basically saying, hey, don't be like that. <laughs> don't be like that when it comes to serving the Lord. Like Paul commands the opposite. Be fervent in spirit. Be a zealous, excited, enthusiastic Christian. Don't be like a sloth. The word fervent means to boil or to heat up. It's this idea of boiling so that your heart would be so zealous to serve the Lord that it would boil over. Now, you guys know I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Wisconsinites love a good fish boil. Um, you catch a bunch of perch in the bay, you cut them up, you put them in this big pot, and then you boil this pot, okay? And once the water is boiling, then you take gasoline, you, you like let everyone get away a little bit, and you douse the fire with gasoline. And the fire roasts up and it covers the big pot and it causes the temperature of the fire to go up, which causes all of the impurities from the fish, the oil, the, all the junk to bubble up over. And then after that's done, you just got a bunch of good clean water and some good fish. And like in good Wisconsin fashion, you just put pounds of butter on it. Um, and that's kind of the image of the Christian life. He's saying, he's like, boil up on over for the Lord with enthusiasm, with excitement, with zeal. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to, to burn off the impurities, to be away and done with sin, and to serve Him with fervency. I just talked to a dad last night who was talking to his kids, and he was excited about spiritual things. He was excited about the right things. Like King's Island is pretty exciting, right? Roller coasters are pretty exciting. But kids, you guys know it. You can tell a fake from the real thing when your mom or dad get excited about the things of the Lord. And if your excitement is over the newest roller coaster... If you're more excited about the things of God, what He's teaching you, what you saw Him do in your boss's life, in your, in your friend's life, in your life, that is the stuff. That's boiling over excitement for the Lord. That's a fervency. And in that last triplet, notice the direct object of the verb serve. It says, serve the Lord. Like, who gets all the glory? Who is it all pointed to? It's tempting to like serve God for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your calendar, for the sake of pleasing other people or meeting expectations. But God is telling us this morning that our sole motive in serving is to serve the Lord. We're to do it for the Lord. Every chord that is played, every chair that's set up, every diaper that is changed, every lesson taught, it's for God. Number three, rejoice. Oh, forgive me, it's persevere. Number three, persevere. It says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, we have this triplet that's telling us how to set our minds 
on the things of the Lord, how to live in this life waiting for the next life. And the first encouragement that he gives us is to rejoice in hope. It seems to be like the dominating verb because like the other ones is like, well, how am I going to rejoice in hope? Well, a part of that is to be patient when you're suffering in affliction. Well, how am I going to be patient? Well, to be in prayer. How am I going to be in prayer? Constant. You see kind of the progression of thought that Paul lays out for us? I don't know about you, but like if you could look back on the last month of when I have said things like this, oh, I'm just ready for the Lord to come back. This, this text has been gripping for me because I've noticed that every time I've said that, it's within a context of me wanting pain and hardship to stop. It's been really convicting for me. Uh, like you, I've said it even this week going, I just want the Lord to come back. All these police in France are going around and checking people's passports to see if they got the vaccine. It just doesn't seem right. Lord, would you just come back, right? And, oh, I'm just, when I think about like all these third graders around here reading what they're reading, Lord, would you just come back? And while that is a, that's a, a yearning from the heart, and in and, and, and other passages of Scripture, like we are to want that and groan for it in Romans 8, right? But here, like God wants us to rejoice in hope. Not to ache in hope or just groan in hope, but it's a call to rejoice. How challenging is that? Isn't that wild? To be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. All these, these three Three things give confidence to the believer how to endure and persevere in the Christian life. Helps us keep our minds and, and everything that we are at a state of, of in a battle mode of enduring for the gospel because one day he'll come back. That middle one deserves our attention for sure. To be patient in affliction. Affliction is oftentimes described as like the valley of the Christian life. Like the darkest hour for some. Who's read C.S. Lewis in here? C.S. Lewis once said, the darkest places are the most holy places. Gethsemane, the cross, the tomb. God used the darkest places to bring about the most beautiful and bright things through Jesus. Let that be an encouragement for you if you're going through a dark time, that God uses the dark times, the hard times, sometimes to produce the most fruit and bring about the most glory. Be patient in them, church. Let them do their work. And last one, 
and then we'll close up our time together, is care. Care. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So let's look at those last two imperatives together. So the guy who discipled, the guy who discipled me when I lived in Texas, he would always say, sometimes love has money attached to it. <laughs> so if you, if you read this, this verse, you just can't get around that. Like to care for or contribute to the needs of the saints. A lot of times that, that requires forking over some cash. Like to pay each other's bills. To help one another financially. Here's, here's what it doesn't mean, though. And just so it, we're, we're careful not to like fall into this trap of, um, um, well, anyone need any bills paid? All right, here's 200 bucks. Like, get out of here, you know? Hey, anyone need like a 10? Okay, let me just shovel it out and like, like just check the box. I obeyed this verse. I'm a good Christian then, right? <laughs> I, I think that there, there could be like a deeper understanding with, with a more eternal perspective in mind. Because even if you take the hosting one to show or practice, pursue hospitality. Oh, I had a person over this, this past month. Sweetheart, I think we're doing fine. You see how that's an attitude of checking the box? We had someone over for dinner. We're showing hospitality. What do you think when it says to contribute or care for the needs of the saints? What do you think the greatest need is? Because we're all going to die. One day, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. What if you read these verses with a little bit deeper understanding of what God was trying to do? Rather than, ah, just host someone, it'll be fine. You'd be like, hey, let's open up our home. Yes, of course, to contribute to their physical needs. Maybe they need a meal. But even more so, let's be hospitable with our very persons. Let's be welcoming with our face, with our arms, with our hands, everything. How about we contribute to their spiritual needs as well. Hey guys, when we have them over, let's ask them how they're doing in the Lord. Let's ask them a good spiritual question so that they're not only being fed physically, but that they're being nourished and the, the Word of God is being brought up and talked about. Let's contribute in so many other ways than just feeding them a drumstick and letting them go home. I think the Lord would be honored if we read this text a little bit deeper than that. So, uh, notice the words in seek to show hospitality. These are the words that compel us. Not to just go, well, if they come over, they come over. Well, early church, they practiced hospitality to strangers. Hey, no one showed up at my doorstep, so I guess I'm off the hook for showing hospitality. These words, seek, can be easily substituted as pursue. Uh, can be easily translated as make it happen. Go for it. Like practice hospitality. 
So Christians, pursue hospitality. Hey, junior high and high school kids, right? Or even if you're younger, a lot of times we could read that and go, well, that's a mom and dad thing, right? Uh, I don't have a house. I don't have money to like cook a meal. But I would just say, hey, you have sleepovers there, don't you? Your friend's over. In what ways could you show hospitality to your friends? More so than even just offering them a drink when they come. You want a glass of water or whatever? But think through what you're going to do with your friends. Like have a schedule planned out. Hey, we're going to play basketball, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Hey, is that okay? Hey, is there anything, you could ask him this, is there anything that you would want to do while you're over at my house? Let's do that. Let's do that. Because I'm here to serve you. Rather than, mm, I don't want to do that. I just want to do what I want to do. Even 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds can show great hospitality in their friendships. 10-year-olds, 11, 12s, teens, you guys got me? All right. Hey, let me share with you one encouraging thing. Have you noticed, if you've been tracking through these 13 imperatives, these four kind of groupings of, of to love people, to serve to persevere, to care. Do you notice how they're all verbs? You know what the cool thing about verbs are? They're not static. It's not an either-or thing. Like, ah, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I'm not chipping Joanna Gaines, right? And so I, I just can't do that. Practicing things gives the notion that verbs can be worked on. Like, you can take just one of these things from today and go, you know what? I was really encouraged here. I was really challenged here. And not to be discouraged, but to go, you know what? I think the Lord would have me choose one thing to work on. Because it's a verb. You can, like, grow in that. Isn't that beautiful? So that's my challenge for you today. Not to take on all 13, but to come away from it. To go to lunch. To ask fellow brethren. To ask your family, hey, what, what did the Lord do in your life today through this text? What was one command through the scriptures that really, that God wanted me to hear today? What was it? And to take that and to work on it by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. And so, Father, uh, would you do that through your Son and by your Spirit? Would you help us grow in the grace? Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, Lord, help us to be encouraged and uplifted by the specific direction that you've provided in your Word. It's so clear it's not hazy. It's not a fog. So we thank you that you give great guidance and instruction to us. Would you build up your church? And would you cause just this passage of Scripture to permeate our lives and to fill our schedules, to um, be so on the forefront of our minds that our hands would be actively responding to the gospel truths that we see in Scripture? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.